Welcome to the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow on the Gonzaga Nation Media Network. Doing a deep dive with a lot of coaches, both head coaches and assistant coaches as we lead into this college basketball season. Uh, today's guest, one of the up and coming assistants on the West Coast. You will see him roaming a sideline, I'm sure, as the man in charge in the very near future. But for now, he does a great job in Fort Collins, Colorado for Colorado State assistant coach Ali Farouk Manesh. How you doing, coach? Good, Dan. Thanks for having me on. And you nailed the last name, too. So that's perfect. Absolutely. I know we 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 went through the scouting report before we hit record to make sure I got that right. <laughs> um, with my last name, I hear it all the time, too. So um, when you were growing up, I did a little research. You grew up in Pullman. Pullman's not a basketball hotbed, but you ended up making it to the heights of the NCAA tournament and now carving out a great career for yourself as a coach. But tell us a little bit about growing up in Pullman and, and the the falling in love with the game of basketball. Yeah, it was uh, growing up in Pullman was awesome. Obviously, it's a smaller town, but having the college atmosphere there, my heroes weren't I didn't have NBA heroes, really. Like, you know, you had the Michael Jordans and whatnot that the that everyone kind of looked up to. But for me, it was like I looked up at Isaac Fontaine and Carlos Daniels and Marcus uh, Marcus Walker, um, guys like that that were, I mean, for me, that was everything. Um, those, those guys were talented, skilled. Um, we didn't win a lot of games when I was there. Um, that didn't change till kind of Tony Bennett took over and whatnot. But um, th that's what I grew up watching was all those uh, Pac-12 teams coming in or Pac-10 back then coming into uh, – real court and, and playing and I, I got a lucky opportunity to see those and also got to see football like Jason Gesser was there when I was when I was around I mean um Ryan Leaf came to my birthday party when I was seven years old um so I, I I was pretty lucky to get to see a lot of highly talented um young college athletes kind of before they took off and got got some good examples of what it looks like to not only be a coach but also what it looks like to be a player in those atmospheres too so in, in kind of reading up on some of the, the, the bio stuff of, of your path that, that I didn't know before we, we have this chat, your parents were volleyball coaches at Wazoo. That's one of the reasons, obviously, you grew up in Pullman. Um, but you would go to a lot of those different games at Friel Court. Was there a, a player or two on an opposing team that just came in and you couldn't take your eyes off? Was it a Damon Stoudemire, uh, if that was the era, or a Jason Kidd? that made you absolutely say, Hey, I want to play at the highest level I can play in college. Yeah, I got lucky. There was a uh, pac 10 was so good and it always is, but back then it was, I mean, the, those Oregon teams with uh, Luke Rittenauer, that was obviously I'm a short white guy. So that obviously plays, plays with me, to be honest, I'm talking to one of them right now with, with you, Dan, and, and being so close to Spokane. Um, that's why I grew my hair out was that whole Gonzaga era. Um, it, it, but then it was all the Arizona guys too, because Arizona was, that, they were not that they're elite right now, but they were elite back then. Um, so growing up watching all those games and Jason Capono, remember him coming into to, to real court and dropping 43. Um, so I, I, I got a lucky opportunity to see basketball at a high level up close and having a personal relationship with the coaches at Washington state too. I got to go to shoot arounds. I got to go to practices. I got to see things from a different lens that a eight, nine, 10 year old doesn't get to see every day. And I, I think I had a different level of respect and understanding for what it really took to play at that level. So 
obviously a lot of Gonzaga fans will will come across this podcast uh, or the the YouTube channel and listen to to our conversation. Grew up in Pullman. I'm sure you were a Cougar fan. You have no choice with your family being tied into the athletic department at the time. But Gonzaga kind of has been the program on the eastern side of the state. Um, you mentioned before we hit record that you were a Zag fan and you really wanted to go to Gonzaga and you thought there might have been a chance. Tell us a little bit about kind of your opportunities to be around the Gonzaga program when you were a kid. Yeah, I mean, I used to play at Spokane Hoop Fest every single summer. I mean, that was probably the elite thing to do for youth kids before AAU really took off. I mean, Spokane Hoop Fest was one of the best, it still is, but it's one of the best events out there for for three on three. And so that that started it, obviously, being in Spokane. But then I would go to the Gonzaga camps, too. And that was early on. I mean, I was I was kind of in, in the initial phases of Gonzaga when it first started taking off. Um, but I still remember those days, obviously watching you, watching all those teams have success. It was hard not to be a part of it. You know, it was hard not to get excited about it, especially in Eastern Washington. And to be honest, Washington State wasn't winning much either. So it was a lot easier to get excited about Gonzaga basketball. And I, I remember I went to camp and Coach Greer, who's now at um, uh, Colorado, uh, I was maybe 10 or 11. And I, I was doing really well at camp. And he came up to me and he goes, hey, son, like you got a scholarship here when you when you when you get of age, I, it's here for you. And so I'm still holding him to that. So I'm still waiting for my scholarship to Gonzaga at some point. Well, I uh, text with Coach Greer all the time, so I'm going to ask him about that. We're trying to figure <laughs> out a time to get him on the podcast as well. He's one of the greats to come through here. Your parents were coaches on the volleyball side. You were around the game. Uh, you played at a high level, which we'll get into in a little bit. But did you always know that coaching was going to be your path is what you wanted to do when you were done playing yourself? Yeah, I think I. I always had an idea that I was going to go down that path. I think it was so hard to get to leave the game. And I think that really, I never really thought about coaching until I was done. And I think as a player, you can probably relate to that. You don't really, I didn't really think past the next game, you know, it was just your whole life. You were thinking about the process of it and like the next game, the next practice, the next workout. Um, so I never really thought about it that much until I was done. And when I decided to be done, I knew I didn't want to be away from the game. And I got lucky with an opportunity to go be a GA with uh, Tim Miles at Nebraska. Um, did that for two years, stayed on for one more year, and then went to Drake from there. But it really came down I wanted to be a part of the game. And I think being a guy that I had to work for everything I got in basketball, um, it, I, there wasn't a whole lot of God-given talent there. So that led me to want to work with guys that did have more talent, that did have more – of the genetic winning lottery um, and to be able to teach them the game and learn the basic skills and the fundamentals and how to work every day. Um, that's, that's what drew me to coaching. And I've been lucky to work with some pretty talented guys so far. Well, Tim miles is a great guy to get a start under. Uh, I've enjoyed getting to know him the last couple of years, um, you know, on the media side first, and then with his return to coaching at, at um, San Jose state, when you look at kind of a, the coaches that you've worked for, um, give us just a little bit of the uniqueness of each guy, because I think Tim Miles has a, is an outgoing personality. Um, I think Nico Medved is a great strategist on the offensive end. And so as you, as a young coach, are building your philosophies and what you like, what have you tried to take away from the coaches that you've worked with? Yeah, no, that's, I think 
Dan Wright, it's like a lot of it comes from the guys you played for too, right? And, and trying to relate back to how you felt as a player in those moments. And uh, Ben Jacobson at Northern Iowa did such a great job of instilling confidence in his players. And everyone talks about like, you got to give someone confidence, give someone confidence. Well, I don't know if you necessarily give confidence to people. I think you allow them to be confident. And Coach Jacobson did such a good job of, man, if you were working every day in practice and you showed up every day and you worked your tail off and he saw that you got results in those situations, well, he was going to trust that you were going to do that in the game. And I struggled when I first got there and he stayed with me and eventually it paid off. And I had a great ending of the last part of my junior year and onto my senior year, but he's him sticking with me through those struggles is the only reason I was able to, to have the rest of my career. Otherwise it would not have happened. So learning how to give guys confidence and allowing them to be confident and teaching them that the work will lead to their confidence. That's, that's something I always take from coach Jake um, coach miles, you know, he's, he's off the wall, but the one thing with coach miles is he's always thinking about how do I sell the program? Like, how am I selling the program? And he's been at places that initially it was hard to sell at North Dakota state wasn't a destination place for basketball when he took over there. And now it's one of the top programs in that summit league. Colorado State, when he took over here, didn't have the probably the resources or the notoriety that it had when he took over. And he changed that. And now we're even in a better place than when he left. And then I look at Nico and Nico's also kind of done the same thing, taking Furman, who was 348 out of 358 teams and built that thing up to four after his fourth year, they win the conference championship. And then you go to Drake and two years back to back of seven wins take the same team and win 17 games the next year. We pick ninth and finish tied for second. Then you come to Colorado state and we take over an 11 win team. And this past year we're highest seed in school history. We're, you know, we get the sixth seed, which was the highest seed in our league by two seed lines. Um, so I think learning from Nico about the process of sticking with the process and not getting caught up in the day to day of it, but getting caught up in the vision and staying with that process consistently. And I think that's that can be difficult when you're staring at a five-game losing streak, but sticking with that process day to day and keeping that vision of the future and ahead of you while you're doing it, Nico's done a phenomenal job of, of managing that because it, it's hard to, to manage staying in the moment while also keeping the big picture at the, at the end of the goal. Yeah, you guys had a great season uh, a year ago, making it to the NCAA tournament. I think the Mountain West... Uh, had a resurgence season for the entire league. I mean, it was so good from you guys to San Diego State to Boise State. Wyoming had some great moments. Um, you guys lose a big piece in David Roddy, but when you look at some of your returning pieces, there's still a lot of talent there. Give us a brief outlook on Colorado State, but then also just how difficult the league is because um, I, I think it's an undervalued league nationally. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's – you got to see it up, up close and personal. I think it's hard when you're on the West Coast. It's Gonzaga gets some of that too sometimes that, you know, people – It's there's always going to be a bias to the East Coast, and it kind of is what it is. So we have to have a chip on our shoulder. And I think for the West Coast mentality, I think we've kind of built that mantra. up. Like I don't root against anybody in our league when they're in that non-conference. Like, I don't want everybody to go 13-0. and 0. Like let's get 10 teams in the tournament. Like, that'd be great. So I think it's that that mantra of like it's kind of Mountain West versus everybody. Now when we get in the league, like yeah, I want to beat Jeff Linder by thirty, right? <laughs> but that's what makes the league so strong is you have Utah State who's top sixty in Ken Palm and they finished seventh in our league. 
And that's our yeah. first round matchup in the conference tournament as the seven seed is a top 55, 60 team in the country right away. And that shows the depth of the league last year. I mean, we obviously got four teams in, but the reason why we got four teams in is those four obviously had great seasons talking about San Diego state, Boise state, Wyoming, and us. But the real reason why we were able to have that ultimate success and get four teams in is you have a Fresno state who has a great season. You have, obviously you have Utah state who has another great season. UNLV came on late. So you have an, an elite bunch of teams that necessarily didn't get the attention with that kind of five, six, seven, eight. And I mean, Nevada, mo probably the most talent in our league and they end up finishing eight. So the mountain West is it's, it's fun. It's fun environments. And Dan, you've been in some of those places. There's nothing like playing at the pit when it's packed or playing at the Viejas playing up in Wyoming for us. That's a rivalry. Um, so there's, there's a ton of great environments here as well, but yeah, David Roddy was an elite player. You don't, you don't, don't replace a first round draft pick too easily. Um, but it, it was special to see him go in the first round, especially for this league, but especially for Colorado state, we haven't had a first round draft pick in I think 30 years. So that's, that's credit to our staff with development. It was all credit to David Roddy and his teammates for putting him in those situations, but next year will be different, but we do have a lot of good returning pieces. We probably have a top 10 point guard in the entire country. And Isaiah Stevens coming back for his senior year. Um, and people don't know, but he was freshman of the year in the Mountain West. And David, at the same time, David was a freshman. Um, and he's kind of taken a back seat to David the last year and a half. And I think he'll take a huge step this year in terms of his leadership and scoring ability and playmaking ability. Um, and then we need some of those young guys to step up. And that's that's probably the biggest thing. Can those guys that average about three, four, five points go to eight, nine, ten? Can John Tanjay go from a ten point a night guy to fifteen a night? Um, and then we're gonna have to get grimier and get tougher and be a little different on that end of the floor this year than we have been in the past. But I'm excited. I go to practice every day and enjoy it, and I love our guys. So it's really we always say whatever we emphasize, they usually do. So we just need to choose the right things to emphasize. On <laughs> yeah. And sometimes for a coach, that's the hardest thing because a lot of coaches that I've gotten to know over the years, they're perfectionists and they want to be perfect in every place, but then you have to look at the big picture. You can't be perfect in everything, but you got to be great in a few things to put yourself in a position to win. You got to be great on the recruiting trail. How has it impacted you guys to have a NBA first round pick in David Roddy and then a player of the year type candidate in Isaiah Stevens, who I really like his game. How does that help you guys on the recruiting trail or does it maybe negatively skew what you're looking for? Because you see a solid polished product already that you like, man, we can't find this guy again. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's hard. I think you have to stay true to who you are too. Cause it's not like we took David Roddy and he was a, top 100 kid in the country when we got him he was probably ranked in the top 300 when he committed to us um Isaiah same thing probably top 300 when he committed to us but now they're all Mountain West guys with ones in the NBA and one's gonna have a chance to hopefully make a roster spot but I think you got to stay true to who you are we're not gonna all of a sudden start recruiting all these top 100 kids just because we have some clout we have a name with it we need to recruit the same type of kids maybe a, a, a slight better talent level a little bit but to be honest, I, I, we don't need to change that. We need to get the same type of kids we've gotten to win at the level we have and then continue to develop them. And to me, it's more about getting the right people in here that want to be developed, that want to win, that have the chip on their shoulders. 
Um, those guys have had success here. And I think especially in the Mountain West and at places like how Gonzaga used to be, those places had guys that like yourself that had chips on their shoulders and they had something to prove. And that goes a lot further than us getting the talented top 75 kid that has all the name recognition. I want the kid that that wasn't getting invited to any of those camps, but then three years later can is destroying that kid. And that's essentially what Roddy did. Um, and we can use it though. Like obviously having a first round draft pick helps with when you're trying to sell development and you know, we can actually point to like, here's where he was and here was where he's at now. Um, Cause everybody talks about it, but what's the actual bona fide proof of how you develop your players each year. I want to go back to your playing career. You hit one of the most iconic shots in the NCAA tournament over the last probably 20, 25 years. Walk us through that game. What was kind of going through your head? Because Northern Iowa um, in the Missouri Valley Conference was really good, but you guys never got a lot of uh, national notoriety. But for guys that followed it closely, they were like, that's a good team. They could knock off uh, a higher seed. You guys went on to do it. But walk us through kind of that game and, and then what that iconic shot, how it came about. Yeah, I mean, initially we were super disappointed to get the nine seed. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, we had a, we were ranked in the top 25 going into the NCAA tournament. So we're thinking we're going to be, you know, probably sitting in that six, seven seed line, a um, lot better area. But we ended up getting the nine seed um, and we were 26 and four, I believe at that point, or 26 and three um, or no, 20, 28 and three getting going into the tournament um, and played UNLV in the first round. That was a tough matchup, but we actually won that one on a buzzer beater too. And then the next night we played Kansas um, and they were the number one team basically the entire season. Um, it was pretty clear cut that they were the, the best team in the country the entire year um, and returned a lot of guys that had won a national championship back in 2008. Um, but the game was, we kind of jumped on them early. And I think that's the, that's, if you're going to be an underdog, I think you have to jump on these teams early. And I think you watch all these upsets that have happened in the past, the underdogs have kind of been, the guys that lead the charge from the start of the game. And then it kind of just stays that way. If you get caught on your heels right away in those situations, it's a lot harder to come back from it. Um, and we jumped on them early and we got an early lead. And um, I played well in the first half. Uh, I think I was five for five in the first half. And then second half, I actually go 0 for six in the second half. So I miss every single shot in the second half. We're up by 12 at one point. It gets down to a one-point game. We're turning the ball over. I haven't crossed half court in probably the last seven minutes. They're pressing us. Um, ball gets thrown up the side. Our point guard gets it. I'm up on the other end of the floor, and he throws it ahead to me. It's a one-point game. I think there's a seven-second differential between shot clock um, and game time, and we're up one at this point. Now, we haven't scored in a while. We haven't crossed half court in a while. That's my first shot I've seen open in a long time since the start of the game. And they backed off of me. And I think, you know, this Dan, as a, as a shooter and a scorer, like there's, there's certain moments where you don't think and you just react to the situation. And that confidence I was talking about coach Jacobson instilling in me from day one, getting on campus, that moment it's all accumulating. But in that moment, I didn't think about it because my coach gave me the freedom to not have to think about it. And that's the only reason I take that shot. It's the only reason I make that shot is because I feel the confidence from my coach, from the players around me to be able to shoot that thought without having any second guesses about it. And in all those moments, you work your entire life to you shoot on the gun for hours, you get in the gym all the time. That 
that was the moment that I worked for my entire life. And especially for me, it wasn't, I, of course, I wanted to play in the NBA, but for me growing up in a college atmosphere, going up at Washington state, going to those games, all I dreamed about was playing division one basketball and playing in the NCAA tournament and having a Bryce drew type moment. That's though that, that was my dream. And so to be able to be in that situation, that moment, yeah, I wasn't not shooting that shot. I was shooting that shot every single time. And, that's awesome. And that's, well, I, I that, love that's seeing that replayed every March. <laughs> uh, and, and actually occasionally it gets brought up on, on Colorado state broadcasts. If there's a close game, like, uh, commentators of well they've got an assistant coach who can make this shot if it's needed <laughs> yeah I don't know if I want my guy shooting it but I guess I kind of have to I got to practice what I preach right that's true that's true so with that being such a big shot you guys go back to campus I know NIL wasn't around then but had you been able to have an NIL deal when you were at Northern Iowa after that shot what company would you, you would have walked into on Monday morning and just had an open hand and say hey Come on, let's go. What do you got for me? Now, I would have tried Nike because we had the worst Nike gear. Like they, they went straight to a Nike elite right after I left. Um, man, I would have gone to every restaurant, everywhere, anywhere possible at that point. I, it was pretty funny, though. I still remember when we, we got back um, probably like a month later, there was a kid going around one of the bars in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and he was pretending to be me. And like I saw a picture of him. He looked exactly like me, so I don't blame him. But the kid was going around and like getting free drinks all over the place. One of my teammates took a picture with him and was like, oh, man, they get a great job. Like he didn't know who he was. And so that just I mean, looking back on that, I was an amazing time. Had NIL been in place, I I don't know what I would have done. I'm probably glad that it wasn't in place at that point. <laughs> well, the St. Peter's guys took advantage of it last year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I can't remember the guy's name with the mustache. He got like a subway deal or, or something quickly. Yeah, you got that Buffalo Wild Wings deal well. quick. I that would yeah, I would have eaten, I would have gone up. I guess I would have loved NIL if I could have gotten Buffalo Wild Wings and meals. Well, you know, like we didn't even we didn't even get meals back then. No. So it would have been nice to just get something besides Papa John's after a game. That's true. Yeah, we back then at Gonzaga, the deal was a lot different than it is now with <laughs> charter imagine. and staying at the nicest hotels. You're obviously an up and coming an assistant on on the West Coast. Uh, I would imagine you've got aspirations to be a head coach um, when the time's right for you and your family, as well as your own personal development as a coach. But how do you balance that with your current role as an assistant, um, having to make sure you're prepared for what the head coach's philosophy is, uh, as well as building your own philosophy out? Yeah, uh, there's a there's a fine line to that, but. I do think at the end of the day, when I, when I first got into this, I remember I, I had some really good mentors and one of them was Phil Beckner. Um, and he told me like, do your job to the best of your ability. And then now you can work on stuff that you want to. And so that's what I always live by is like, I try to do whatever my tasks are for this job that I'm in right now to the best of my ability. And then I, whatever time's left now I can work on things that I want to work on specifically. I just so happens that I've worked for a coach that a lot of the same philosophies and a lot of the same things I want to do as a head coach are in line with he, what he wants to do already. So there's not a whole lot of, there's not a lot, a whole lot of extra time that I need to prepare my own philosophies. He's, he does things the way that I would love to run my program in terms of building it through character, through a, through a culture. I know it's cliche, but there's a reason why it's cliche. I, I truly believe that, that our culture is part of the reason why we're successful and we have to protect that. And, that's what I want to build my program on going forward. I still remember at, at, at Northern Iowa, the culture changed when I was there 
And it's kind of stayed that way ever since then. And all those things that coaches, that coach Medved's about, I hope I can instill in my program. Obviously we'll do some things that are a little different and whatnot. You got to be yourself, but for the core, the, the values that he has, they're very similar to why, what I want to do as a head coach. And that's also why I'm lucky. And that's why I haven't left here either is I really enjoy where I'm at, who I'm working with, the town, the university, and my family loves it here. I got four kids too. So it's not, it's, it, I have to work for somebody that understands the balance of having a family and, and the work environment as well. Awesome. Well, coach, I appreciate the time. Um, I wish you nothing but the best of luck uh, this upcoming season. I'm sure our paths will cross at some point uh, during the Mountain West season. So thanks for joining and uh, get a little bit of a break and relaxation with those kids before the season starts. <laughs> no, I appreciate it, Dan. Thanks again.